welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On this week's episode, we are going to continue our Fantastic Beasts, the Crimes of Grindelwald character discussions with Queenie. We're going to try to figure out what is going on with her in the sequel. And then we've also got a little bit of news to discuss. But first, we are joined by one of our MuggleCast listeners and Slug Club patrons, Sam. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. How long have you been listening to MuggleCast? A few years, ever since you did the episode on Ilvermorny. I remember that was the first one that I ever listened to. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I, I remember I was like looking for people who were discussing it and no one was like saying anything about it. And that's how I like stumbled upon. Well, we are. We're yep. your Harry Potter <laughs> friends, as we always say. <laughs> <laughs> that's why this show has worked. Thank goodness we figured it out. Let's get your fandom ID. Yeah, so um, favorite book is probably um, Order of the Phoenix. Favorite movie, probably Half-Blood Prince, actually. Hogwarts House is Hufflepuff. Uh, Ilvermorny House is Puckwudgie. And then favorite Legilimens, I'm going to have to say Queenie. Maybe maybe movie one Queenie instead of movie two Queenie. Ooh, uh, but, good but answer. Definitely Queenie, yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. So, little housekeeping before we get to the news. Micah and Eric, I understand that you are doing an Instagram Live with our new social media manager, Chloe, this Tuesday, meaning the day this episode is released. Tuesday, December 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern. That's right. I'm super excited about this. Uh, It's going to be a good time. Absolutely. And I got a chance to sit in recently when Chloe hosted your millennial IG Live and Andrew had a great time just interacting with uh, your millennial listeners in the chat, also roasting you a bit. Interacting. Yeah, interesting <laughs> word for trolling because oh, that's what you were actually doing. Micah, were you heckling? Was he heckling? Just a bit. I mean, Andrew's brother was there too. We were having fun. Oh. And I'm going to be a little busy Tuesday, but I'm going to try to make some time to troll <laughs> Micah back during ah. Micah and Eric's Instagram live. So that'll be happening on the MuggleCast Instagram. So check it out Tuesday, December 7th, 7 p.m. It will be available after. But of course, we want you to tune in live and there's a comment section so you can you can ask questions in real time. And I know Chloe's already um, collected some questions. So I think it'll be great. And we look forward yeah. to seeing that. Laura and I will be doing a Q&A in January, by the way. Okay, so I don't know if you all heard this past Wednesday, December 1st, was an international holiday (laughs) on the Internet. It was the day that all Spotify users got their Spotify wrapped results. Sam, are you a Spotify user? I just saw you nod your head. Yeah, I I am a Spotify user, but I use it mostly on my Alexa. So I'm just working and saying just play something. So my list was very strange oh okay (laughs) you just listened to the weather and you (laughs) triggered timers the past year that's what you did in 2021 but um yeah so these are always great to see it's it's always fun to see what music we've been listening to over the past year and then of course spotify will also tell each user the podcasts the uh the podcast they've been listening to most over the past year and many many of our listeners screenshotted their spotify wrapped and tagged us showing Showing that MuggleCast ranked in their top podcast of the year. It's so exciting to see everybody's results. So thank you, everybody who shared those. I wanted to give a shout out to a couple people, though. 
they were uh, they were listening to a lot of MuggleCast over 2021. <laughs> Angela listened to 14,215 minutes of MuggleCast this year. I did the math. That's 236 hours. Wow. <laughs> that's more than you, Angela. <laughs> I know, I, yeah. And you edit the show. Right. Good, oh, that's good weird. Good point. If you thought that was a lot, Jack, J-A-C, she registered 30,837 minutes. That's 513 hours. That's more than an hour a day. Ooh. Can we send her a bookmark? We <laughs> Something. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. We'll do that. We'll just a... write the number 3837 on it. Oh, my goodness. But yeah. I also have to give a shout out to Jack's cat because I saw her post this and, and show her listening numbers. And then I uh, sometimes I, I creep on people's social media <laughs> profiles. Sorry. And I found that Jack has a TikTok for her cat and her cat has 100,000 followers on TikTok. Oh wow. <laughs> the viral sensation tipsy, right? Tippy? Tipsy. 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 Yeah. Tipsy Gates is their username on TikTok. And uh, wow, congratulations. <laughs> Does Tipsy listen to MuggleCast? Good question. Of course. Can Tipsy do some promo for us on your TikTok? Right. We would oh, yeah. definitely <laughs> appreciate that. That's a really good idea. Oh my goodness. This is less talked about amongst podcasters, but Spotify actually creates uh, wrap-ups for podcasts as well, like the overall shows. Here are some of MuggleCast stats. 1,833 people listen to MuggleCast more than any other podcast this year. Thank you. Wow. We And it looks like we had a good year. Hours listening were up 25%. Streams were up 24%. Listeners up 18% and followers up 11%. And we were played in 60 countries around the world, including six new ones, including Cameroon, Mongolia, Brunei, Russia, and Kenya. Wow. Thanks, y'all. That's awesome. It always blows my mind to think anybody outside of like our households is listening to this show. I know, right? I <laughs> And around the world, places will never go. 60 most countries. All right. So on to a little bit of news. We spoke about this, I think, months ago. A Harry Potter trivia show, an official trivia show, is now airing on TBS and Cartoon Network. It's hosted by Helen Mirren. And contestants are squaring off, answering questions about primarily the Harry Potter movies. Um, They're competing in houses, which is kind of fun. So this premiere episode had Hufflepuff going up against Ravenclaw. Did I have that right, Micah? Gryffindor. Gryffindor against... Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Okay. Uh, Micah and I are the only ones here who saw it. So Micah, what did you think of this new trivia show? So I, I actually really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure what to expect and how they were going to fill an entire hour, but they did a really great job with it. I thought Helen Mirren was a great host. I expected her to stumble at times over different characters and places, but she definitely didn't. I also thought the first episode, and interested to get your thoughts here too, Andrew, did a really good job of representing the diversity of the Potter community. Yes, I thought that too. I think it was uh, the Gryffindor side. It was three black people, which yep. I thought was great. And I think very much a response to how white the movies are. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, and Hufflepuff, it was um, a young black woman, a man who lived with his husband in New York City. Nice. And then the older gentleman, I believe, was in his 70s. Ah. Wow. And his wife, yeah. who was a librarian, had introduced him to Harry Potter. So ah. it very much 
hit on a lot of different areas from a diversity standpoint, which I think was probably something that they were very mindful of coming into this show. Yeah, Fair enough. I think so. The stories are for everyone. I'm glad that they showed that. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. The set was beautiful. Helen Mirren, I thought, was an excellent host. The questions were very much a mixed bag. Some of them were genuinely challenging. But then there were a couple questions where they would play a clip from the movie and then ask you a question about the clip that you just saw. Mm. It was almost like they were trying to appeal to people who have never seen Harry Potter before. Because I don't get why they had these questions. Like, the one question was, um, it's a clip from Goblet... They played a clip from Goblet of Fire, and Madame Maxine hits her head on a lamp. The clip ends, and Helen Mirren goes, okay, what did Madame Maxine just hit her head on? I'm like, who cares? And the contestants <laughs> are, like, debating it. Like, it's really in, in a really intense right. moment. <laughs> I, the reason why I didn't like that was because it had nothing to do with magic. It was just a mm. chandelier that she hit her head on. And yeah. I will say, though, those questions did get more difficult. Like the question they asked about what Dudley does after the letters start to fly in through the chimney. And the the older gentleman on the Hufflepuff team knew that he jumped into his mother's lap. I never would have uh-huh. known that that is what he did. Without having just seen the clip, like Without, I just yeah. described for that other question. Yeah, that was impressive. Right. It was what follows. Yeah, what comes next. but. I agree. I love the crowd interaction. Uh, my big concern is that the crowd is filled with diehard fans. And I don't know that they're ever going to get a question wrong. <laughs> oh, right. So they would do these like ask the audience questions where like just like on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the audience votes what they think is the correct answer. So they do this with each with each house that it was a fun idea. But yeah, they, they were getting those right every time. Oh, yeah. And I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. What I was surprised about, though, was there was a cursed child question. <laughs> what did they ask? They asked how old the trolley lady is. And again, I would have no idea. Oh, Who knows that? Gosh. Oh, wow. I could not that have answered a, that. That's called synergy, Micah. We're, we're reaching out to all areas of fandom <laughs> or, or official official areas but of the which Wizarding version world of the cursed them. child? That's yeah, the real yeah, question. She's about two hours younger in the uh, shortened version. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm surprised her age even came up in the play, honestly. Yeah, I'd be a bit... Like, okay, maybe how long she's been working, but her age? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that. But I uh, was also surprised to see that David Heyman was an executive producer on the show. I guess that makes sense given how much the movies are integrated in. They had a lot of the cast make cameos. Luke Youngblood, who plays Lee Jordan, he was giving updates on the score, and he was kind of on a perch above the crowd, which was kind of fun. It felt like he was a Quidditch commentator. Yeah, Yeah. that was well done. That's awesome. And we had appearances by Matt Lewis, the actor who played the Fat Friar. That was so random. It was really random. (laughs) I love (laughs) that. (laughs) My boy, my ghost friend. Well, there's only so many Hufflepuffs, I think, that they can uh, bring in to do uh, those types of uh, questions. Sam, you and I got to Got to watch it together so we can cheer for our boy. Oh, absolutely. Hufflepuff all the way. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. The whole series is four episodes long. By the time this episode comes out, episode two will have already aired. And actually, speaking of episode two, they say that a preview of the highly, highly anticipated reunion special (laughs) is going to be a part of episode two. So we can't 
react to that because we're recording before the trivia show airs. Yes. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll stick with it. Yes. If anything, just to like raise an eyebrow at some of these questions. Well, and next week it's your house versus my house, Andrew, and Laura's oh. house. Oh, so they're in versus that's cool. down. That's great. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, I did get that one question right. They showed a close-up of like an object or something, and they were like, what is this? We didn't know if it was a floor. We didn't know if it was like clothing. They just said, what is this? It was super zoomed in. And I guessed Ministry of Magic Flooring, and I was right. Wow. So I was... I was very proud of myself. That was a really tough one. Not for me. I mean, I'm really no. smart. Well, they didn't <laughs> They didn't listen to the 70-year-old Hufflepuff because he had it right, and they went with something else. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That guy knew everything. I think he was a plant. <laughs> he did. I mean, that was the thread of the episode. There's no way this old guy will know Harry Potter. Oh, my gosh. He knows everything. Oh, right. nice. <laughs> good for him. He was really good. Really good. It was good for him. Yeah. Well, speaking of trivia... Quizage Live is going to be returning on Sunday, this Sunday, December 12th at 10 a.m. Eastern. And I know we were just talking about houses. Well, it's going to be all house-themed trivia. We've had so much fun doing these in the past. It's been a really long time uh, since the last one, but uh, we're bringing it back. 50 questions. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun on Sunday. So international listeners who are always saying, when are you guys going to do a hangout in the mornings or some accessible time for me? That's this Quizage Live. Don't miss it. Free to play. We do recommend playing with a computer because you're going to have a YouTube stream to watch so you can see us. But then you also have what we call a game pad. And that's what you actually play the trivia game on. And the faster you answer, correctly answer each question, the more points you will receive. We've had such a blast with the previous Quizich Lives, and we're looking forward to doing this one. Do we know the uh, prizes yet? Or we'll figure that out? I don't think so. Yeah, I think Micah's figuring that out. I'm signing up Micah. Yeah. You don't want me to figure it out because (laughs) you yelled at me the last time I did a Twitter giveaway because I kept giving away more things. Micah runs up the the credit card bill. Yeah, I was going to say, don't give him the MuggleCast Amex. (laughs) Laura, you're fiscal. The Amex, yes, MuggleCast has an American Express card. (laughs) Laura is fiscally intelligent, uh, savvy, I I guess I should say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You you told me some big personal news lately, so. Well, you know, I'll uh, I'll, I'll do some looking around, see what we can do, see what we can scrounge up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who can't join us live, we're actually going to be releasing this Quizage Live as an episode for the first time. So that will be next week's episode if folks want to check it out. Correct. Yes. Before we talk about someone who has a great smile, Queenie Goldstein, let's talk about our own. Between small talk at the company holiday party and enjoying all the holiday treats this season, your mouth does a lot this time of year. And we don't want you to be the person at the holiday party that everyone has to step away from due to bad breath. Gift your mouth better oral care with Quip, makers of the award-winning electric toothbrush. And when you save up to 40% on holiday bundles, it's also a gift to your wallet. The Quip electric toothbrush is loved by over 7 million mouths, including mine, and has some amazing features including time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended, two-minute clean, a lightweight and sleek design for adults and kids, 
with no wires or bulky charger to weigh you down, a multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount for less clutter, which is genius, especially while traveling, and even more good news, Quip is running their best deals of the year, which means you won't be paying through the teeth when you gift better oral health this year. Andrew and I love using Quip for all of these reasons, and now it's your turn to improve your oral health. If you go to getquip.com slash muggle right now, on top of their holiday savings, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free and up to 40% off bundles at getquip.com slash muggle. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash muggle. Quip, the good habits company. So for today's main discussion, as Andrew mentioned, we're going to be talking Queenie Goldstein, all Queenie from Crimes of Grindelwald. Our first Queenie episode where we discussed her character was actually our first go-round of character discussions from the first Fantastic Beast film way back. Are you ready, guys? I feel old every time I say something in the 300s. Uh, <laughs> MuggleCast 318. Wow. Long time ago. But uh, I got to say, we should pat ourselves on the back because during the speculation, our biggest, I want to say, prediction, Micah, I believe it was, pointed out that Queenie's powers make her a valuable asset and or a weapon for maybe Grindelwald to use, something that could be used for good or evil. And anytime we have something like this on the show, we got to pat ourselves on the back because look at where she ends up at the end of the second movie, literally on the side of Grindelwald. I just pat myself on the back. There you go. But it's cool. (laughs) It's nice to go back and revisit old character discussions to see where uh, we got things right and wrong. And also just to check back in with this character in particular. So what are people's general thoughts on Queenie in Crimes of Grindelwald? Were you surprised by any character arcs? Did you feel like it was mostly predestined based on her role in the first film? Do you remember feeling how you felt about Queenie? I felt kind of betrayed, honestly. By the I, end of it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even in the beginning of it. And and we'll get into right. some of that here momentarily. But I, I felt like, you know, in the first movie she was established as such a strong character and she was incredibly grounded. And then in this movie, it felt like she did a 180 and I was not expecting it. And I really liked her character from the first movie. So I was disappointed to see what her arc was in the second film. Yeah. I think we all really loved Queenie at the end of the first movie. And we were like, Oh, this is going to be a beautiful arc. Queenie. And the muggle get together and it'll be a happily ever after. Of course, you know, we were a little worried by the end of movie one when Jacob Mm -hmm. apparently loses his memory. uh, But we quickly found out he was okay in Crimes of Grindelwald. And then we quickly find out that Queenie's been doing some stuff to him. So, (laughs) yeah, I do remember that after movie one, during and after movie one, I I really liked Queenie. Yeah. And for like five minutes of Crimes of Grindelwald. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it go, it does derail and go downhill fast, which I'm glad we're talking about. I would just add to it, it, it. She definitely, her character suffered from something that we talked a lot about with the other three that are the members of the overall core four. And that is just that their stories seem to take a back seat to everything else that was going on in the crimes of Grindelwald. Right. It just felt like she was on screen for such a short period of time after being established as one of the main characters in the last movie. That's but also point. curious to know what Sam thinks. Yeah, I mean, I really loved Queenie in the first film. And 
in the second I mean, I remember having a pretty strong aversion to everything Crimes of Grindelwald after seeing it the first time. Uh, but yeah, um, it was really cool in the first one because I feel like with a lot of J.K. Rowling's writings, she has this aversion to, I guess you'd say like pink character. You know, any character who their favorite color might be pink is normally like demonized or, or belittled in some way. Mm, and then yeah. we had this like really grounded, really strong, but also very feminine character in the first film. And it was great to see someone like that being featured. And then, I don't know, pretty much everything just goes wrong for her in the second one. And she's not acting the way that she was. And I don't know, it, it did feel a little bit like a betrayal, I think. I'm really excited to get into talking more about her character and the choices made for her um, because of this. But yeah, I think I agree with what everyone here said. So let's just talk about the time spent between movies one and two. So what happened, right? We talk about um, what happened with Jacob getting his memory erased and the first film ends with Queenie kind of showing up at his bakery and waving. And you're like, oh, it's going to be okay for these two. Like he might remember her. And, you know, we find out kind of in the beginning of movie two that Jacob really never did forget Queenie. Um, the swooping evil substance that was going to erase everyone else's memories of the horrible events in the subway in New York didn't actually work on Jacob, which is why he's able to have beast-themed pastries and all that stuff. And he basically just, you know, Jacob uh, explains this to Newt in the first scene that they're in. And it's kind of, you know, just a throwaway line, getting that out of the way. Here's how I remember everything. And it becomes very clear in this first scene, you know, Newt, while he's excited to see his friend Jacob and, and of course, Queenie, um, he's kind of the first one to realize that something is way off. Jacob is behaving. Uh, he's a little bit more giddy than just travel will do to you. Um, and he's a little bit too into Queenie. And it transpires that Queenie has actually placed Jacob under pretty strong from the looks of it, love potion. And this is sort of the way that their characters in Beasts 2 start off. It's not a great look. Mm. Yeah. I think I remember at the, this is kind of an aside, but I think I remember at the, when we were speculating about what happened with Jacob at the end of movie one, we did note, of course, that he was baking uh, bread and other pastries that looked like creatures. And we thought, well, maybe he's doing that because he just has a vague recollection and it's going to have to, his memory is going to have to be rebuilt over time. But that, of course, wasn't the case at all. Really, he didn't forget anything after all. It could have been. I like our theory better. I did, yeah. There was also that theory that like when Queenie kissed him uh, as he was getting rained on, that she could have somehow used her mind powers to like restore his memory or prevent them from being all sucked out. I kind of liked that idea, too. Yeah, I like that one, too. I wanted it to be love. You know, I wanted it to be that. Love, oh yeah, true love's kiss. Yeah, something like that. I Disney like that style, idea. but and and you know, no real answer is necessarily always going to live up to the fans' craziest theories. Um, but yeah, it turned out to just be the rain didn't work on him. Um, so here's the issue: Jacob did not come to London under his own accord. He did not consent to coming to London, and you know, it's nice to see as an audience. I think you're supposed to jump on the idea that these two are together. They're happy because Jacob and Queenie, 
they were such a big part of the first movie and they were in love and they wanted to be together and they couldn't. So I think we're supposed to cheer them on. But by opening with Jacob, kind of, you know, a newt is adamant. He's like, Queenie, you have to undo this charm. Like if Jacob really wants to be here, let him make that choice. And Jacob kind of wakes up out of a funk and is like, wait, like what's going on? And you're just immediately, my heart was broken because in all the talk we had about what these core four characters were going to do in, in future ser- you know, future installments in the series, I didn't have drug and abduct each other, you know, in, on the list, I guess. Uh, and that, that, that really is what Queenie has done to Jacob, even though they would have presumably had a relationship without the love potion, Queenie became desperate and now has taken to, um, you know, resorting to love potion. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how did we get here? Because mm. you just talked about how we left them in the bakery in New York City. And the first introduction to them in Crimes of Grindelwald is him being under this love potion. And I thought it was interesting that we had two scenes, if you look back into the first Fantastic Beast film, with Jacob willingly sitting down at Queenie's dining room table to eat a meal. And here we are in Newt's apartment at a dining room table, and yet he's under some sort of coercion to be there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was sort of intentionally done by the writing so that mm-hmm. you had these two totally different kind of experiences for Jacob, one where he's kind of there of his own willingness, and then one where, you know, he doesn't seem to have his own agency when he's in London. So, mm. um, but it's just, again, like the writing seems a little bit off. Why is this our first introduction to them in this movie? I think it's probably because they were looking for an easy way to split the two of them up and push Queenie off towards Grindelwald and his followers. And, and this was probably the easiest way to do it. Yeah. And also to your point about the core four and and Eric's point as well about them not getting very much screen time in this film, they had to make the biggest splash with the amount of screen time they had. So I feel like they went for the controversial angle, right? And, you know, because based on the representation we saw of these characters in the first film, I don't think it would be unreasonable to think that Jacob and Queenie would sit down and have, or wouldn't sit down and have a mature adult conversation about how to proceed with their relationship. The fact that we got to this point and we saw none of that evolution just speaks of bad writing, honestly, rushed development. I mean, There's so much, we've talked about this before, but Crimes of Grindelwald could really be the third entry for how much happened in the first, in the three months between the first and the second films. Like so much happened. Newt's book release. He's now an internationally acclaimed wizard that the, so much so that the Portkey guy recognizes him. Uh, You know, there's this whole Tina and Newt blow up. There's all this other stuff. Apparently Queenie and Jacob's relationship is so fraught. And the fact that, in America, nomadges and wizards aren't supposed to date, ends up being such a problem for the relationship. And however Jacob is feeling about it, and I think that he's the kind of guy who we see when he confronts Queenie at the beginning of the movie, 
he's interested in talking about it. He loves Queenie. He wants to work this out. But Queenie has, through some means, been pushed to such desperation about the whole, I'm not supposed to be dating this guy, that she has started giving him love potion to make him always be by her side. Um, And I just don't see where that thread of desperation comes from. She spends most of movie two being desperate. She spends most of movie two being confused. And I think that it plays into her overall arc where she has to go in this film, you know, into the arms of Grindelwald, that she's lost and confused. And here's a man in Grindelwald who's going to say that witches and muggles can marry and it's going to be okay. He's going to bring freedom to their kind. Right. That's all interesting. But I fail to see the the inciting moment where somebody as intelligent as movie one Queenie would be pushed to such desperate lengths to, by the point of the first you know, scene in, that she's in in the second movie, be abducting the love of her life. Yeah, right. and I also just, I really struggled with the subtext here, which seems to be that a woman in love will do whatever necessary to get her man, mm-hmm. even if it's drugging him and taking him somewhere against his will. Also, her desire to join join Grindelwald, I mean, we'll talk about that a little later, but that felt too easy, too. It was like, what, at, what was the breaking point for you? Right, exactly, exactly. It's kind of Merope Gaunt, isn't it? The whole uh, yeah. drugging a man, taking him off. Yeah, right. that's not a good compare. It's a great comparison, but it's not good for your main character. Your it's not good for Queenie. Yeah, it's not good no. for Queenie at all. Especially well, because she and Jacob love each other, right? Genuinely. Mer- yeah, Merope, her love for Tom Riddle Senior was unrequited. So the re- like the reasoning here is totally different, and yet somehow this person, who's a very strong-willed character, who has someone who loves them back got to the point of saying i'm going to strip my romantic partner of their autonomy and take them to a foreign country i mean he even wanted to go to that foreign country right he asked newt where are we london i always want to go here but if he had if newt had not done the right thing and removed him of that lens over his eyes with the love potion he wouldn't have been there to experience it and here's you know, the, the further complication that makes this really, 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 really sticky in the realm of what adults can do to each other in this world. Jacob's line to Queenie in the second movie is, when were you going to wake me up, sweetie, after we had five kids? And the, the way that, that this is that line, that that's the line, says to me that they were intimate. It says to me that they were physically intimate in their relationship both prior to the love potion and especially during the love potion. And I'm sorry, but that's that's rape, actually. Yeah. Well, and if you were to reverse the roles here, say that mm. Jacob was actually Tina's brother and he was the magical one in the situation and say that he put her under a love potion, the muggle, and took her to another country I think people would read that very differently than maybe they are this situation on the surface, right? It's really interesting. And I will say, even if we give the benefit of the doubt, if we're like, you know what, these are PG 
PG, PG-13 movies. There's not sex in these movies. These people don't do that. Even if we give them that benefit of the doubt that there was no physical intimacy, this is still a pretty massive violation of Jacob's autonomy. Right. <laughs> still problematic. Laura, I actually want to go off of that just for a second because I was thinking, does this even have a place in this film? Is it appropriate for it to be in the Fantastic Beasts franchise? Well, yeah, because you would you would think, I mean, we've had discussions on the show before about how love potions are rape. They're wrong. They're bad. And there are many other issues with the Harry Potter series. We really haven't done an episode on that yet, just like focusing <laughs> on like very problematic things in the Harry Potter series. We might at some point. I think it's going to take a good amount of preparation and, and research. And I won't sit here and say that these stories shouldn't delve into dark themes like this, right? That's what makes a story compelling is that you see so many shades of light and dark, right? But it's the fact that in the context of how these people were characterized, it makes no sense. And yeah. it was played as like a joke. Like, they're in love. Yeah. It's great to see them. Exactly. They're on a vacation. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, Jacob didn't willingly come here. And they may or may not have been working towards kids. Like, what's going on? Yeah, it would be one thing if they were kind of treating it with the, the level of gravity that it has. But you really get the feeling watching it that it's that they're not treating it that way. They're not like doing a dive into controversial issues. They're just playing it off as some kind of, oh, this is something that just happens in relationships. Isn't it funny when they have a spat? Who among and us? Just like a quick way to split, yeah. yeah, It's just a quick and easy, dirty way to split them up. Like yeah. they just yeah. needed something quick, like was brought up 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And this was the solution they just settled on. And it it wasn't a good solution. And I think a big question now is, will this be addressed in future movies? Will Queenie apologize to Jacob in some fashion about the love potion, not just siding with Grindelwald? Because mm-hmm. I think we can all assume, and we'll get to this later too, but I, I think we can all assume that Queenie is going to come back to the good side again. Mm-hmm. The question is, how is she going to apologize to Jacob and and get him back? And then does the love potion get addressed? I'm guessing not. And that makes it all the worse. Because then, like, if if it's not addressed, what does the viewer learn from this? Stories are supposed to teach us something, educate, inform us. Mm-hmm. And if this isn't addressed again, that was all for nothing. That was just a cheap ploy to split them up. Yeah. Getting ready for this episode, I... You know, was searching like uh, to see if anyone had written articles on it, if they'd done any interviews about it. And you find a lot of things about, you know, Queenie's betrayal of Jacob, but they're all about her joining up with Grindelwald. No one talks about drugging him and taking him to a foreign country at all. It's 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 almost like it's a like a non-issue for them when they're talking about how kind of bizarre Queenie's acting in the second film. Yeah. And it is just a a shame for me to bring it home because of the character that we were promised in the first film. I mean, maybe it's just an interpretation of the character we were promised by me. But I think that what we had in Queenie in the first film was a very, you know, strong, independent sort of woman. She had her bearings. She is a marvelous gift that next to nobody has. We don't know anybody else who's a little Jillimans in the way that she is. And while that carries with it its own set of challenges. I think she was set up to be, you know, a real powerhouse of a person and not somebody who resorts to these sort of weakened tactics where they're fearful and they do something wrong and it's played for laughs. I will say though, I I think it's likely that ability that caused her to do what she did. 
because she could read Jacob's mind. She knew how he was feeling and she in turn took the actions that she did. I think they probably could have wrote it a little bit differently and they could have found a way to have gotten Queenie and Jacob over to London and then made it more of a struggle throughout the, like no love potion, just make it a struggle between the two of them throughout the course of the film. And at the very end, she makes the decision to go with Grindelwald. Yeah. And I will say, I get breaking Queenie up from the rest of the quartet. Okay, you need some conflict. You need that little surprise. This is Ron leaving in Deathly Hallows. Like, you know, they had to be split up. Things got were too perfect by the end of movie one, other than Jacob losing his memory. So (laughs) so I I get that. But yeah, it's just been handled badly. So yeah, I mean, if we talk about why Queenie did what she did, and at some point she must have just lost faith in the idea that love will make everything okay. Like America in the 1920s is clearly so oppressive. You know, the president herself, President Pickery at the end of the film was like, you got to erase that. No badges in mind here. You got to you can't let him have him hanging around. Like, but why wouldn't they just, I don't know, move to England? Like, I know Queenie's tight with her sister, but they're much more permissive. And I think Tina would maybe understand if they really wanted to go somewhere where their kind of love would be permitted. And again, not resort to the way that they did. Right. It's also a question of... um would Jacob actually want to relocate? I mean, you can love someone with all your heart, but not be in the into the idea of moving halfway across the planet, right? He has a business mm. in New York. He's established there. So I could see him having reasonable conflict internally about the prospect of moving. And perhaps that's what was going on when Queenie decided that she was going to drug him. But it's still not right. It doesn't justify her taking that action. Yeah. I'd like, I'd love to know what Jacob's thoughts are on relocating, but she never asks him <laughs> that we see, you know, she just yeah. kind of makes the choice. She makes the choice. I mean, I completely understand where Jacob is coming from. I too love bread more than women. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't move to New York. <laughs> Me too, Andrew. Me too. <laughs> I mean, some nice warm bread, the arms of a nice woman. They're about equal to me, so I'll give you guys that. Mm. I think I love bread more than most people, so... (laughs) Same. Micah, what's your stance on this? I love bread clip. (laughs) All the above. Okay, okay. But um, but yeah, so I think the other part... Well, re-listening to 318, um, I believe it was another comment from Micah saying that, you know, Jacob really is the heart of this film, uh, of the first film. Jacob was very much, you know, the audience was along with his journey and you cried when he had to do what was right and forget Mm -hmm. his friends. So what is that? Because we're him. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. If you think about it, we're we're him. We are him. So what does it say that in the first 20 minutes of movie two, our, our agency has been removed. You really can't root for... Like, even if Queenie and Jacob get back together, as we assume they must, and there's a, a one of our listeners wrote in about a certain Quidditch player we'll talk about later um, in Harry's era. But still, assuming they get back together, I no longer believe that Queenie and Jacob have a healthy relationship. I would have assumed this relationship was one for the ages. It was set up to succeed on so many levels. Um, despite their differences, they really have the right temperament. They get a, You can see that they're made for each other. You can see it on screen in the first film. Now, I'm not so sure. Like, Queenie made some desperate choices, and that says a lot about her maturity, 
and a lot about her ability to handle problems. And even that he, Jacob, seems ready to forgive her. Jacob seems almost apologetic in his confrontation with her. Um, that also makes me think that not all his bells are ringing. You know, ultimately, you forgive the one you love if you really do love them. But there's a lot that needs to be worked out. And with everything else going on in these movies, I don't have a high degree of confidence that it's ever going to be uh, figured out on screen. Yeah, right. there needs to be therapy for sure. Don't you think, though, that he comes out of this traumatized, scared? Because if he does decide to get back with Queenie, how does he know that something like this or or something else with magic won't happen to him moving forward? You look at the manipulation mm. by Queenie, on some levels, you could equate it to the manipulation of Grindelwald. You could equate it to those who use the Imperius curse during Voldemort's you know, rise to power. It's not all that different. I've said before that I think Jacob is going to die at some point in this film series. So it'll just be taken care of. <laughs> well, well, no, no. I think I think they will make amends, maybe in movie three, maybe in movie four, but there won't they'll have little time after they make amends to be together before Jacob is somehow killed. I just think it makes sense that the muggle in the core four dies it'll be really sad of course i don't want it to happen i'll be really sad about it but i just think from a from a storytelling from an arc i i think it makes a lot of sense yeah and then afterwards tina's gonna turn to, or queenie's gonna turn to tina and tearfully say i'm pregnant right yes, yes. yes that's where we get the descendants from well jk rowling cannot pass up the opportunity to create another orphan right so. and also <laughs> she'll name him jacob jacob jr I have to say, though, one thing is that because we're talking about, you know, is their relationship healthy on either end? Um, I, I do have to wonder, you know, how possible is it to have a healthy relationship with someone when you can hear every thought that pops into their head? I'm glad you brought that up, Sam. We didn't settle on in 318 whether or not Queenie could turn off her ability. And I wanted to get everybody's kind of thoughts on whether Queenie is able to shut out the noise that would come from hearing everyone's inner monologue. I think that she can be polite about it, perhaps, but I, I think that particularly if, she, if it's someone she cares about, um, that it's it's probably too strong a pull for her to really to push down. You know, maybe like, maybe the average Joe on the street, but if she's sitting right next to you, this person that she loves and cares about, I, I don't think that her mind would allow her to kind of tune it out. Yeah. Kind of like mm -hmm. how if you're at a crowded cafe and there's a bunch of people around you talking, you can tune them out as white noise. Yeah. But the second you hear a voice you recognize, someone you know, you're going to laser focus on it. So is this a self-control issue? Maybe. Maybe. But think about what happens to her. And clearly she's very upset when she's crying on the, the street corner in Paris and it's raining outside and right. she can hear literally everybody around her. I wouldn't be surprised if Grindelwald could help her in her ability to control what she can That's... hear from other people. I, I think if anybody can do it, it would probably be him. That's so amazing because Grindelwald is probably a very gifted Occlumens shutting people out. I mean, Grindelwald was operating as Graves at the ministry, same place where Queenie worked in movie one, and she had no clue 
about it. So if he can shut her out, maybe he can teach her a thing or two about how to exercise her own powers. She also might feel like a sense of relief being around someone who can shut her out. You know, if she if she can't turn it off, it might True. feel somewhat relaxing to be around someone who yeah. she doesn't have to worry about that with. That's so interesting. So I ship uh, Queen Anne Grindelwald now. but um but yeah so about her being able to tune it out or not you know she does lose control um on the paris street corner and i did want to point out that we do have a history in the wizarding world of people's emotions really greatly affecting their magic i'm thinking of tonks in this moment you know the whole unrequited love uh situation with lupin uh what what turns out later to be unrequited love uh, causes Tonks to be really just retreat into herself. Her hair changes into nothing fun, just a mousy brown, all of our natural hair colors. Um, and, you know, she can't produce a correct Patronus anymore. And I think Queenie's ability to exercise whatever degree of control she did have once, maybe, about her mind reading thing is just shot because she's alone in a new city her sister's not there and she thinks she hears the person that she just betrayed and wants to find them, but can't. Good point. So I do think that, you know, she does spend most of the movie being desperate. I think that it's okay for our four heroes to not always be operating on all cylinders in terms of, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to do amazing feats of strength and excitement. The way that Queenie breaks them out of, or breaks them into Makuza in the first film by, flirting a little with Abernathy, making Abernathy very, very shy and uncomfortable. Um, But, you know, so it makes sense to me that she can't always use her abilities to her advantage. Um, That said, it's sad to watch a hero that you love from the first film spend the second film lost, confused, and ultimately end up in the arms of the enemy. Again, especially when the motivator for that was you know, not unrequited love, but I suppose desperate love, right? She wasn't getting what she wanted from her romantic partner. And I'm so glad that you brought up Tonks because this is kind of a theme we're uncovering here of women in the wizarding world being unable to control their emotions enough to keep themselves in check when they're feeling scorned by a male partner. You know, women are so emotional, Laura. Like right. that's why there should never be a woman president. Right. I, just think I mean, they're that, too emotional. <laughs> that's definitely a, a very like slippery slope version of the argument. But right. that's how it feels, honestly, watching something like this. Right. Wasn't there also an example in Half Blood Prince where Hermione sets the birds on Ron mm. when she gets very upset? It may have been just a movieism. I think that was a movieism, but Hermione also kind of her maturity definitely regresses in Half Blood Prince in response to Ron dating Lavender Brown. So it's not to say that these types of things can never happen to female characters, but as a consu- as a female consumer of these products, it's frustrating to see that it's such a common theme. It's almost Mm. predictable at this point. It's like with any female character in the wizarding world, it's almost assured that the conflict that plays a part in their story arc has to do with a romantic entanglement with a man. 
and they'll go to pieces yep. over it. Bellatrix. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. from a female writer, which makes it all the more interesting. Oh, that Ooh. internalized misogyny <laughs> is so real, but that's a whole other conversation. The champion of women's <laughs> issues. Well, I was going to say like too, and we already did our Tina discussion, our revisit on Tina. Tina has a whole complex thing that's going on with like Newt and this horror that she's seeing, but like she seems to not be in pieces. She's on the case. She's, you know, hunting down credence. She's not affected by it. She would be an example of someone who's taking the challenges in her life and to some extent, maybe running them from them, but also just not letting them bog her down. And she's in the movie for a very short amount of time comparatively. So we don't really have. Is sort of Tina the, though? I feel like she's hiding behind her work. She might be not confronting her feelings, but she's also not, as a result, she's also not sitting on a street corner in the rain crying and getting scooped up by the enemy. So I don't know which is better. Actually, I do. And it's what Tina's doing. <laughs> no, um, she's too busy getting tricked by use of comma. That's true. That's that's true. I don't know. It just seems like Tina really does have more agency than Queenie in this film. And no, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Do any of you think that Queenie has been in a relationship before Jacob? Do you think that this is her first real relationship? Or that's it's hard to say. I mean, we know that the magical population is going to be significantly smaller. And if she's living in the United States where those relationships are frowned upon, could mean that her dating pool options were more limited. That's a great point. So what about uh, this whole Rosier thing? And I want to bring up the theory uh, that I believe somebody posed to us that perhaps there was something in the tea that Rosier gave to Queenie that made her let her guard down a little bit more, you know, because how does the hero of the series get? right you know face to face with Grindelwald it seemed all too easy this happened in Grindelwald's flat after she had her breakdown in the rain and by the way I do want to get to this rain point that that maybe we should get to this first just before we get inside so Sam you had a really interesting observation about Queenie in the rain tell us about that I noticed while uh doing a rewatch that we have pretty much three big rain scenes in in between the two movies. The first is when Jacob is losing his memory. We find out he doesn't, but, you know, very, very sad moment, particularly for Queenie. Um, then we have the rain scene in London where they're breaking up um, because he's he's found out what she's done to her. And then we have the rain scene um, after the French ministry where she's having that kind of emotional crisis in the street. And they're all very queenie focused you know they're all you know it's it's kind of a a cliche to have it rain when someone's sad but queenie's the only one that that we're seeing that happen to and i just think it's interesting that they've used this queenie being very upset and it raining all around her you know three times so far in the series i like that i think this is a really awesome observation and now when i'm watching the next one two or three movies i'm going to be thinking about this because there does seem to be a trend here with Queenie in the Rain. And I'll be curious to see how this art goes. Maybe by the, the final movie, Queenie's big scene is in nothing but sunshine. I was watching it with my with my boyfriend. I was making him do the rewatch with me. And he turned to me the third time and goes, Does Queenie have rain powers? Is that what's going on? And I was like, I was like, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but he's on to something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Y'all, let's make a Fantastic Beasts bingo card and put Queenie crying in the rain. 
That's a it's great one. Of one. The tiles. That's just the free spot in the middle. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bingo card would be so much fun. Yeah, I'm we should do that. Down a note about this. Yeah. Getting back to where we were going a couple minutes ago, Queenie is given this cup of tea, and I think we've we've spoken about this a bit before as well. I feel like there was something in the tea, just like Queenie love potioned Jacob. Queenie is now under the influence of something, and that's why there was this sudden switch that just seems so bizarre to us. Now, I think another argument is that Grindelwald, he has the power of persuasion. Mm-hmm. He could easily convince people with his words. So that's mm-hmm. an alternate theory. But I just find that scene very interesting where she's sitting down, dr- drinking a, a glass, of, a cup of tea. It has to say something. There has to be something there. That's a little hint about something going on, right. I think. Well, and the, the teapot's very aggressive. It's not like... <laughs> All right, it's bugging her to drink tea. Yeah. tea. Yeah. yeah. But my point. own perspective on it is, if you, this is the difference between books and movies. In a movie, if you do not explain that it's a possibility that the tea is you know poisoned or has a special thing in it, you have to be prepared for the uh, end result being that it wasn't. Right. Like in a book, you can have a character mention at the start of the book and say, oh, some tea is poisoned. And then later it comes into play in a movie. We just have to operate under the assumption that Queenie's a friggin moron because nothing in the film tells us otherwise. And so if you you know, I want to give Queenie the benefit of the doubt, but here's a character that just keeps making the worst possible decisions. And I have to say it's poor writing instead of there's a secret thing in the teapot that makes her more amenable to coercion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the only way for them to justify that is through a flashback, right? And flashbacks, when you do too many of them, they just feel cheap. And they ruin the pacing as well. (laughs) <laughs> we'll have a couple coming up getting into Dumbledore's secret. So yeah. I think yeah. we're good on flashbacks for movie three, at least. Totally. The, not to harp on the writing too much, but I also wonder why somebody who is as smart as Queenie doesn't put kind of two and two together. She's crying on the street in the middle of Paris and somebody comes up to her who just happens to be a member of the magical community. Like, it doesn't seem to bother her at all that she goes into this person's home and all of a sudden there's this magical teapot that's kind of nudging her on the shoulder. Mm. You think she would have a little bit more awareness just to say, well, wait, how did I end up in somebody's home who has magical ability? What are the chances of that? That's a great point. And my other question was, how can she not hear what's going on inside Rosier's head? Wasn't it just the accent she tells? <laughs> doesn't oh. she tell Newt? She does say oh, that to Newt. She right. says to Newt that that she can't. You, he said, she says something like "you people," and he's like, "Excuse me, what?" She's like <laughs> British, British people. So with Rosier yeah. being French, you know. Well, she's she's like, hey, in my country, we don't call it a philosopher; we call it a sorcerer. I don't know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> We're stupid Queenie in America, so yeah. It is a shame that. Everyone you'd want to use Queenie's powers against, everyone on the bad side, has such magnificent occlumency protection, either from Grindelwald directly or from their own abilities, that Queenie can't use it. Queenie is set up to be at such a disadvantage in this film every step of the way. Things in America have somehow reached a fever pitch in the last three months, and she's got to get Jacob out. Um, Things, you know, 
with with her friends. She's lost her friends and has no other you know solution. And now she's got to side with the one man that promises, uh, though he's lying through his teeth, that he's going to be okay with her being with a muggle. Um, you know, it's just real, real shame. There could also be a high level of protection in this flat, right? So mm-hmm. you walk in, maybe your magical abilities aren't as strong as they should be otherwise. I don't know. I, I would feel, I feel like somebody like Grindelwald would put up protections within the place where he lives. That's fair. Maybe it's uh, in the form of like a blue flame, blue wall. <laughs> but he just, he kind of like took over that flat, right? That wasn't actually his because the baby's no, in the room and the baby I mean, gets killed. Put, put charms up and stuff. Look what they did when well, they went right, camping. I'm s- I'm just saying how quick would all that happen if he's just discovering the baby is in the room? Well, getting getting to the point of the writing, yeah, I just don't think the stakes are are high enough. Like we we haven't been shown what has driven Queenie to this spot. I think it would have been reasonable for her to get here eventually. Um, but you know, if we move forward to where Queenie and Jacob reunite uh at the tomb, um, you know, Queenie is again more or less in hysterics over it. She sees Grindelwald as the only way that she and Jacob are going to be together. And even though she's so excited to see Jacob after losing him uh, earlier in the movie, she asks Jacob to stay and watch the speech. And, you know, to Jacob's credit, he is not fooled by what Grindelwald is promising. The prospect of another war. Jacob fought in the the, the first war. Um, You know, Jacob is not excited about the prospect of this other war. But he doesn't fall for the promise of what Grindelwald is selling. He says, you and I can figure this out together, but not with him. And Queenie says no and goes with goes with Grindelwald, literally steps through the allegiance flame, whatever it is, and chooses to leave Jacob. So w- which was it? Was she, did she lose Jacob because he's what she wants? Does she want to be with him? Or does she now not want to be with him because she actively just walked away from him when she had him? And now she's siding with Grindelwald because it's easy. Is she the kind of character that chooses what's easy over what's right? I mean, one way you could look at that is that she's a double agent. And I know she obviously would have had to have shown her true self in order to be able to cross that line. But maybe part of being such an accomplished legilimens allowed her to do that. Maybe it allowed her to compartmentalize her thoughts and emotions. I mean, I really strongly believe that she's working for somebody, Dumbledore, the ministry. Dumbledore. Wow. Even during the events of movie two. Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, throwing out a really hopeful. That's a really hopeful read. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Movie two. I think we're going to get her like becoming a double agent. Like she's going to, you know, fall out of favor or, or no longer approve of what Grindelwald's doing. And then she'll, kind of play that game but i i think right now she's she's really in it you know she's she's buying everything yeah i agree i think that we are going to get there in terms of her being a double agent potentially working for someone like dumbledore as a double agent but i don't know right now her motivation feels like she's saying jacob you just wait and see i'm gonna go do this thing i'm going to win this freedom for us and you'll see, right? So she, I think she believes it. And that's unfortunate because, again, you have this previously very strong, very grounded female character saying, 
you know what'll convince me to join Wizard Hitler? Is being scorned by my boyfriend. <laughs> like, what? Well, you know the other thing. I'll show him. Or yeah, her relationship with Tina is such a big part of the first movie. It feels lived in. You can tell the actresses worked so hard together mm-hmm. to get that familiar sense. They don't even interact in this movie. It's all behind the scenes. It's all, you know, dialogue about what happened between them in the past. They're in the same room in the tomb together and there's no interaction. Tina doesn't say, Queenie, don't do this. There's no opportunity for the sisterly bond to interrupt Queenie's descent towards, you know, desperation and madness and the dark side. And I'm sorry, but you add these things up and it's just a missed opportunity for a little bit better, a little bit more, I want to say transparent understanding of what these characters are really going through. Have we thought of all about how Jacob is going to be able to defend himself? I know we talked about him potentially <laughs> getting killed. That helmet from the first movie, remember that? <laughs> it's the helmet. His skull is susceptible to- No, because we talk yeah. about Queenie going over to Grindelwald's side, but- having Jacob out there is a big liability for her. If she does in fact decide to turn and become a double agent, I mean, he's completely vulnerable. Mm. There's no way for him to defend himself. Well, let's say other than Newt. Right. Getting back to what I said, you know, I think he does have to die at some point. What if he dies in this scenario? Then Queenie's like, ah, bleep. I can't believe I fell for Grindelwald's tea and his, (laughs) his words. And I let go the best thing that was one of the best things that was going on in my life. So where we leave things with Queenie at the end of movie two, just getting up uh, to wrap that up, is she's actively giving information that will help Grindelwald secure Credence's trust to Grindelwald. She says, be gentle with him. He's still not sure he's made the right choice. And I can't think of any better advice than that, uh, that our hero could give our villain and he's going to follow it. He knows what he has in Queenie. He knows her abilities even exceed his own, and he's going to use her as long as he can. This scene's a good scene that kind of plays into this double agent theory. I mean, he's she's right there with Credence mm. and Grindelwald. Mm. Potentially could be sharing a ton of great information with Dumbledore or somebody else. I like that theory when I think about this scene. And then that would explain why she so easily went over to Grindelwald's side. But it still doesn't explain the love potion at all. Nope. So I'm just very confused. So I'm excited to talk about, this is always our favorite part of these character discussions, talking about the future of a character's arc. But first, we have to hear from one of our sponsors. We do have a quick word from Third Love. The holidays can be hectic and stressful if you're out shopping, putting up decorations, or traveling. And who wants to be uncomfortable during all of that? With Third Love, comfort is always a given. Give yourself what you really want this holiday season. Third Love obsesses over each and every stitch in their underwear, loungewear, and activewear. Putting on your essentials feels like indulging in yourself every day. I've been wearing Third Love's Flex Seamless Sports Bras lately, and I love these things. They are so soft, supportive, and stretchy, and perfect for continuing to work from home. And on top of feeling great to wear, Third Loves make being the good gifter easier than ever. Their range of premium everyday essentials make gifting for the people in your life effortless. 
Bras are available in exclusive half cups, underwear, loungewear, activewear, and extra small through 3X as well. Feeling is believing. Upgrade to everyday pieces that love your body as much as you do. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash mugglecast. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash mugglecast. Okay, so let's talk about what the future has in store with Queenie. Now that she has done the unthinkable and gone over to the dark side, I'll start with this question. How long will she remain on the dark side? Is this a small thing or do we think she'll be over there for years? Years and years and years, because if movie three is coming out in 2022, it's probably going to be two, three years until the next one. Um, I think by the end of movie three, she's going to be back to the the good side. That soon, huh? That that soon. I think it's too much to have the core four broken up for a full movie. And I'm just thinking about how. Like we've discussed before, we got to kind of get things back on track from a writing perspective in the series. I think movie three is going to be a reset. And I I just feel like it won't happen in the beginning. It's not going to be as quick as uh, we got some answers in Crimes of Grindelwald. But I think by the end, one of the resolutions by the end of the movie will be Queenie coming back to the good side. I think it depends on how many movies there are. Assuming there are actually going to be five movies they might drag it out a little bit, right? We might get that resolution at the beginning of the fourth movie or like halfway through the fourth movie. But if they're trying to wrap this up in fewer than five movies, I think that they'll uh, tie this little bow, close this loop in movie three. I think... Oh, go on. Oh, go ahead. I I think it depends upon how quickly Grindelwald starts to deliver on whatever it is he promised Queenie. Bingo. Because otherwise, why is she there? There's no point. She went there because of Jacob. Uh, Presumably. She's in hysterics over having this boy be able to love her. Right. Unless she is already a double agent. I mean, I can see a couple scenarios. I mean, if she's already a double agent, she's going to stay as long as Mm. she has to. But if she converts to a double agent, she may be forced to stay longer than she otherwise would want. That's a great point. Well, if the next movie is written like the second movie, it'll be done in the first 15 minutes after she drugs Grindelwald and brings him to Brazil. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was, she was never on his side anyway. There was like that. We thought that thing with the swooping evil, but it's fine. It's oh, yeah. Fine. Yeah. I think the longer that she stays with Grindelwald, the more the more it was her choice to go with him. The longer she stays with Grindelwald and doesn't like immediately regret her actions or immediately realize he's not going to be what promised her. Because Grindelwald is being set up as this huge, big, bad He's a chameleon. He finds in any one person what it is that they really, truly want and promises them that and says, Dumbledore will not give you this. I will give you this. And so in order for like Queenie's character to be saved, she still actually needs to believe Grindelwald well into the next movie and possibly into future movies. He needs to keep that. That's the challenge of the writing is Grindelwald has to keep up Everything that he's promised to people, he needs to continue behaving as though he's going to deliver on that stuff until he can't anymore because Queenie's hanging on by a thread. Yeah, I almost look at her in a similar vein to a Snape or a Draco where you you had to wait for the entire series to wrap up before that actually paid itself off. Probably more so Snape than, than Draco, but... 
otherwise, I don't know. Like, otherwise I don't see the point. If it's not going to go longer than this film, why do it in the first place? It's, it just seems such a quick turnaround. Like, remember that, remember that five months where Queenie was on the bad side? Like that was fun, wasn't right. it? <laughs> that was good yeah. times. I'm, <laughs> good times. <laughs> I'm wondering y'all, um, what or who do you think is going to convince Queenie to come back to the good side? I'm liking this new theory that it's Jacob's death. (laughs) (laughs) Depressing and sad, but not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, I think she's got to witness something that's just completely beyond the pale for her. You know, if if she had been in that flat when Grindelwald ordered Rosier to kill that baby, no, if she had seen something like that, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that she would stick around for very long. So I think it's going to be either something... That, you know, Grindelwald's feeling too comfortable around her and kind of reveals just quite how evil he is, or he's going to, you know, move against Jacob in some way. I like that. Yeah, me too. One other thing I could see happening, though, too, is just his continued manipulation of Credence. That could be something that she starts to get a little bit wary about, especially knowing what her sister was able to do in terms of, you know, rescuing Credence back, you know, at the prior to the first movie and then obviously making that connection with him at the end of fantastic beasts so i i think that's probably another thing that we could see where he just continues to fill credence's head head with things or abuse him in some way and that starts to turn her a bit i like that idea i like it especially because it also does tie queenie into her sister like she knows how much her sister worked to protect credence and now isn't about to just let this manipulator go have carte blanche against you know fill his head with all these lies yeah. doesn't this third movie pick up a couple of years after i wanted to bring that up i mean we still don't really know how many years ahead this is jumping if any so that yeah. could be a factor too oh yeah things were resolved in movie three because um, you know, they jumped ahead three, four years. As we keep bringing up, they have to get to 1945. They've still got many years to go. You know what's going to happen is it's all going to be, every film is going to be set three months after the previous one. And then the last 30 minutes is going to be a montage of the next 12 years. No and- more <laughs> montages. I was sick of them after Order of the Phoenix. I never want a Harry Potter montage ever again. Well, David Yates really <laughs> loves a montage. I can't actually no. tell what I hate worse. Montages or flashback. Wait, no, it's flashbacks in this series. Yeah, they're bad. <laughs> oh, I like the flashbacks. I'll take a flashback any day. They don't have any dialogue in them. They're not very good. <laughs> Oh, okay. Any other questions about Queenie in the future? So, Sam, you had a, a really interesting bit uh, about a Pottermore entry. Uh, so you pointed this out about sort of the future. This helps us kind of guess that Queenie will be coming back to the side of good. Yeah. So I remember uh, when they wrote about the the Quidditch, I think the 2014 Quidditch World Cup, um, that they had a... Uh, chaser on the U.S. team named Quentin Kowalski. Kowalski is a, a relatively common name, I, I suppose, and it could be another one, but I I don't think that J.K. Rowling would use that name twice, um, particularly with the first name Quentin, which is so close to Queenie. I love yes. that. Yeah, I, I feel like that's got to be like a, almost, you know, it's almost like a family name at that point or something. So I think that there's a, a very good chance that they at least get l- back together long enough in order to to have a kid you know and then maybe again maybe he's orphaned 
um, when when Jacob dies or, or something along those lines. There's a Kowalski line here of magical users. So this is a good catch and certainly a clue that the the Goldstein Kowalski line will continue. I'm also wondering, do we know how much time passed over Crimes of Grindelwald? Because isn't it possible that Queenie's pregnant in Crimes of Grindelwald? We just don't know it yet. Well, th- something I noticed, sorry, when I was watching it is that Crimes of Grindelwald takes place exactly 9 months after the first film when I was watching it because there's a si- there's first like a 6 month jump to when they're showing um Grindelwald escape from Makusa mm. and then it says 3 months later. So, um, I don't know if that okay. 9 months is a like a god. A key well, to if, thump- the, if the baby was conceived under love potion, we all know it's going to become the next Voldemort. So, right. Or she might become Voldemort. Maybe Joel switch up canon a little bit. <laughs> Voldemort oh, is God. supposed to be born during this time. He goes to school. He's in his what fifth year in 1945. Just saying. One other question I just wanted to ask as we kind of wrap things up is, do we think that Queenie is the only one now that can get through to Credence from the side of good? Ugh. He has no quote unquote allies on that side with him who can hopefully try and turn him back from whatever Grindelwald is trying to do with him. It's a good she question. She can read his mind, so she knows what's going on inside his head. They also have that kind of shared experience of being a, you know, a magical anomaly in some ways. Ooh, it's a good point. You don't think Dumbledore would be able, Albus Dumbledore would be able to connect with him? Well, I mean, presumably he hasn't talked to him in like... <laughs> 20 years <laughs> yeah. but still he's being set up as an adversary like i think grindelwald is ensuring that credence and albus no matter what their relationship is can never be a healthy happy one agree there's just so many lies between them and i don't think dumbledore would be super forthcoming when they do see each other and we know that i mean you know harry never hears about credence if he is a dumbledore so something happens where that's better left undiscussed you know. I left out of the history books. So I think that might uh, wrap up our discussion on Queenie Goldstein. Yeah. And if anybody has any feedback or any theories, please do reach out. You can contact us by writing or sending a voice message to MuggleCast at gmail.com. If you are recording a voice message, just use the voice memo app on your phone and try to keep your message about a minute long and try to record in a quiet place. And don't drive while you're recording the message. It, it stresses me out, please. <laughs> and if you want to write to us, you can also use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. Or finally, you can call us on our phone number, 19203-MUGGLE. That's 19203684453. Obviously, uh, you know, there are many questions and hopefully at least some of them will be answered in The Secrets of Dumbledore or maybe in movie four, The Secrets of Mm -hmm. Queenie. (laughs) All right. It's time for. Go ahead. You were talking about cars. So really quickly, I wanted to point out that somebody listening in the discord tonight was actually listening from a horse. That might be a first for Muggle Cast. Ooh, wow. I saw that pick, but I didn't read the comment. Hold on. I got to scroll back up. King now. Stag. Joining from a horse tonight. That's cool. Impressive. That might be one of the most original places anyone's ever listened to Muggle Cast from. <laughs> I want to listen to the podcast from a horse. Oh, when I ride a horse. You've expanded your uh, listening base to like three countries and a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Spotify wrapped update. <laughs>
please. Oh my god. Six new countries and one new horse. I love that so much. <laughs> Good call back. Okay, it's time for Quizage. Last week's question. What 14th century witch enjoyed being burnt at the stake so many times that she did so at least 47 times under different guises? This uh, week's answer comes from the beginning chapter of Prisoner of Azkaban. It is Wendelin the Weird. Uh, congrats to everyone who got that right, including Scottish McTabby, Harry Potter and the Deathly Bifocals, Count Ravioli has returned, the Thwomping Pillow, Swedish Short Snout, You Shall Not Pass, Dumbledore Said Calmly, Dumbledore's Sock Knitter, Hagrid's Umbrella, Wild Witch of Yorkshire, Hero to Millions, Yorkshire Jess, Sir King of Kings, Duke Stroganoff, and McGonagall's Cat. I wonder if Count Ravioli and Duke Stroganoff are going to duke it out for uh, Quizich uh, victory when we do Quizich Live on Sunday. I Sounds don't know. starchy. That's a good reminder, though. Quizich Live this Sunday. Okay, next week's question. What day of the year does Professor McGonagall say she wouldn't be surprised if it were known as Harry Potter Day in the future? Aww. Take some little extra book scanning to figure that all out. Um, submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash quizich, or go to the main page and click on Quizich in the upper right-hand corner. What a fun question. By the way, y'all, um, I found out that there's going to be a Harry Potter trivia night near me at a bar, and I was so excited, and then I saw the date, and I can't make it, so I was very sad. Um, but all this to say that it looks like a lot of trivia nights are resuming again, and if you're vaccinated, and if you're comfortable, and if you feel safe, keep an eye out for those real-life trivia events. But of course, we have the virtual one that everybody can play for free in the comfort of their own home this Sunday. So please do be there and uh, keep an eye on our social media channels, by the way, and our website for the links to Quizich Live. Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. You did awesome. Yeah. You and your boyfriend did awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, it was great. And thanks so much for your support. And we're so glad you found us when looking for some uh, people to uh, discuss Ilvermorning with. We love being everybody's Harry Potter friends. So if you want to support us like uh, Sam does over on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You get instant access to years of bonus MuggleCast installments, our live streams, our planning docs. We've got some new features in the works for 2022 as well. We'll discuss those. We'll talk about those in the next couple of months, I'm sure. There's tons of stuff on there. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast and your support goes a long way because it takes a, a lot of time and, and money to run the show. So we really appreciate the support. A couple other reminders. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app if they do have a review system there. Also, follow us on social media. We're MuggleCast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So I think that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Maura. I'm Sam. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Instagram live tonight, seven (laughs) o'clock.